Good morning. How are you all doing today? Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then we will talk from Philippians chapter 2 together for a few moments. Let me kind of share with you what we're going to be doing today, and then also in that of uh, September and October and November, when it comes to our communion opportunities with you, the Lord's table opportunities with you, that we're kind of encapsulating all of those into a series we're calling Remember. And so today is the first part of that. And then when we do, uh, when we have the opportunity for communion next month, then we will also talk about Remember. And so what we want to focus on these next few months together as we come to the Lord's table is that just why we do this is, is what we're kind of kind of cover in some ways why we do this and what this means for us in our walk with Christ. And you say, well, why, why do you want to do that, Mark? We've been doing it a certain way for a certain amount of time. So, you know, why do you want to do it this way? Because I think that what we find in life is that we repeatedly do a lot of things that we really don't know why we do them. We, we, do, we just do them for the sake of doing them. And so I kind of thought, you know, well, what are some of those things that we do? And, you know, every year, uh, some of you or some of us, we say this, that we, we celebrate this thing called Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, I don't know if you, you know what that is, right? Well, that's celebrating May the 5th. Isn't that right? And some people say, no, no, that's like the, the Mexican Independence Day. And none of that is absolutely true. It's not. If you want to know what it means, simply look it up. You can Google it because that's exactly what I had to do. Yes, right? And it's a celebration of a battle in Mexico against the French and back in the 1800s. And you can read all about that if you want. But we say these things and we do these things, but we really don't know the meaning behind them. I think it's important. I think it's absolutely important that you and I remember why we do this, that we remember why we do this, this ancient discipline referred to as sometimes communion. Maybe you grew up and you heard it referred to as the Eucharist or the common meal. Maybe you heard it called the Lord's table, table, the Lord's uh, supper, the disciples' table, all those kinds of things. But simply, why do we do this? Why do we do this every four weeks, every five weeks? Why do we come together and take communion? Well, for a moment, use your imagination, okay? Just use your imagination because the Bible is written so we can read it with imagination. So use your imagination for a moment and imagine Jesus, he's on his journey to the cross. He's a few days before the cross, three years into his public ministry. He's reclining at this table in this room surrounded by, well, surrounded by his very closest friends. He, it's, it's this group that he is poured his life into. He's given everything to this group of people that he's surrounded with. He's equipped them to carry the gospel to all the world. Imagine that setting, that atmosphere in that room that day or that evening. This is one of the last moments that he will have in this kind of setting with that group of people before his crucifixion. So if you were Jesus, then then how would you make the best of that moment? What would you do to make the absolute best of that moment with those that surrounding you that you love greatly and you have poured your life into for three years? What would you do? And I thought about that. If I were Christ and I was sitting in that situation, then what would I do in that moment? And I think what I would do is I would want to give them something to remember me by. That's exactly what I would want to do. And it's, it's what we always read almost every time when we do communion. We read 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23, and that's exactly what this is. Paul is writing this text to the church at Corinth, and here is what he says. He says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And look at those words. Do this in remembrance of me. It's exactly what he gave them. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, that he, he emphasizes, emphasizes that of remembrance. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you say, but Mark, I, I, I grew up in a church, maybe, and they had this table up front they call the communion table, and inscribed on the front of that table, carved that table is what? Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Most of you, if you have grown up in church at any point, you have seen that. But can I tell you, when you look at 1 Corinthians 11, I think I know that there's something there that just doesn't meet our eye just by reading it. It's more than just a method in which we use to go to the Lord's table. Because historically, we know that Paul is writing these words to the Corinthian church, but it's not that he's introducing something new to them. That's not the case at all. No, but actually these are words that are dealing with a misuse of the Lord's table is what he's doing. It's a correction. The sacraments are being misused. They're being used as a point of divisiveness in the church. And when you think about divisiveness in the church, then you think, well, Mark, now you're going to go back to the same thing that we talk about most of the summer together, and you're only going to talk about relationships and community. Because all of a sudden, what is ringing in our ears, if you were here with us through our summer series, The Fight, is this, that relationships are the crucible for conflict. And so is that what you're talking about? Well, no, but that's exactly what Paul is talking about. Because here in the church at Corinth, it's mainly made up of the poor, the down and out in, in the city. But yet there are some that are there that are wealthy. And what happens is at the Lord's table when they would partake like we will today, it was a full meal. You say, Mark, can't we go back to that? That would be great, right? Chicken fingers and stuff like that. That, that would be perfect. You know, uh, can we? No, no, it was a full meal. And so what would happen is that they would serve those most wealthy first is what would take place. And so the wealthy would come to the Lord's table and they would eat and they would leave very little for the poor that that remained in the congregation. So this text is really about what? It's about relationships. It's about community. It's very much about how you and I react and interact with one another. Because I say that for us to understand that our horizontal relationship, I believe, is a direct reflection of our vertical relationship with Christ. That it's tough for me to say that I love God when I don't love you. It is. It's tough for me to say that I serve God when I'm not serving you as my brother and sister. This is truly about relationships. And when you think it in that way, and the whole setting before us this morning of the Lord's table, doesn't it exemplify what in itself service? That, that simply that you're denying yourself and you're giving to someone else, isn't that the sacrifice that Christ made for you and I? Yes, it's about remembering and then taking that which Christ has done for you and I and realizing this overwhelming point, this overwhelming point that because he loved me first, because he loved me first, I can love you in this room because he loves me first. If, if, if he never loved me, it would be impossible to love you that he simply loves you through me. That's a powerful thought. That is community. That's what the celebration of communion is all about. It's simply that. But we use the word, I think we use this word community a lot. We do. And it can be confusing 
Because some of you think, and or maybe we think that community is that just, it's the church that we attend. It's, it's sort of the building that we go to for worship. Community is not exclusive to a building. Understand that where we meet for worship. Because I can, I can give you a, a point to help to understand that. Because some people come to a building for years, but they're never connected to any one person inside that building. They're not. So it's not about community. Community is more about our heart than it is about geography. Understand that. It's about what our heart says to our hands, is acted out in our lives, and it's how we serve one another. It's about community, but it's about each other. And when you look at communion, the very word itself, koinonia, it's about participating. It's about sharing. It's about sharing a common union. It's about participating with Jesus and with others. You know, when we come and we partake in a few moments at the Lord's table, it's not just a Jesus and me kind of thing. It's not just this kind of personal moment with Christ and I. And, And sometimes we kind of sell it like that, I think. It's not that at all. But we participate in Him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we do that as a community when we come together to the Lord's table. It's, it's, it's the table itself, you know? It's like the family meal, right? It's like the family meal. It's an opportunity to share with one another. There is something about just sitting down at the table with each other and breaking bread. There's something really powerful and really spiritual about that in all of our lives. And exactly, it's exactly what we're due. We're remembering Christ. We're remembering the cross. We're remembering the things that he has done in our lives. But it's not just for us, but it's for those that are around us. But maybe you're sitting here and saying, Mark, you don't understand I'm not following Christ this morning. I'm really struggling with this, even this idea that God would love me. You don't understand my life. You know, you don't understand what I've done and where I've been. You don't understand how many times I've done those things in my life. And, and you don't, you just, you're struggling in that area. What we have in common, every one of us in this room today, is that God so loved the world that he sent his son. That's what we share in common. No matter who we are or where we come from, or whatever we've done in life, that there's a commonality that we share in community this morning that he loves us. So specifically, Mark, what are you talking about sharing? There's a few things I want to talk to you about this morning, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. We start reading, and, he, and Paul begins to list these things of commonality for us in the, in the community of Christ. And he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... That's one. Any comfort from love. God is love. So any comfort from God's love, we share that together. Any participation in the Spirit. I love this because this is really like a Trinitarian kind of scripture for you and I. It talks about Christ. It talks about the Father. It talks about the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say any affection and sympathy. And, and, and what he says is this. And if you read on in verse 2, the result of the love of God in our life, the result of encouragement of Christ and of that of participation in the Spirit is this, that he says complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And it's beautiful because what that eliminates, he goes on to say in verse 3, he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's humility through unity as the body of Christ is what it is. It's serving one another as Christ has served his disciples and he served us. It's what we share in the commonality of community, when you and I come together at the Lord's table, it's what we share together. 
So there's a couple things. Can I go through this list with you? Well, thank you. I'm going to do that for a moment, okay? Before we go to the Lord's table. The first is this. In community, we have in common encouragement in Christ. And, and I read, I look at some other translations, not to try to make it sound what I wanted to make it sound like, but yeah, I read some other translations. In the New Living Translation, it says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Jesus? It's a question. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And yes, there is. It's like this. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you're sitting there and you're waiting for your food and a table next to you that, you know, you're kind of, well, I don't know if you ever eavesdrop on other people around you at restaurants. But can I tell you, I do. My wife tells me all the time, stop listening to what they're saying next door. Well, I can't because I'm just curious, you know. That's a maybe good thing, bad thing, I don't know. But yet, it's like when you're sitting there eating and all of a sudden you look over or you hear somebody praying over their food. Hey, you know what that means, right? And you know that, well, it means one of two things. They either love God or you should not order what they've ordered, right? Exactly. Yes. If, if they're simply rebuking sickness and disease, you don't want to eat what they're about to eat, right? So, no. But what's happening at this point is you're encouraged because you feel and you know they belong to Christ. It's somebody else belongs to the same that so they're your brother and sister. So you are encouraged in Christ. And that is important. So because they're your brother and sister, when you're finished eating, you always send the bill to your brother and sister's table is what you do. Yes, because you're family. Yes. Exactly. Try that at lunch. Let me know how that happens. Uh, this one. Yes. Every week when Reba and I talk to people in the lobby, man, we never knew that we had so many family members. It's encouraging to know that, that we're all family, we're all community, but just don't all come to my house for dinner at the same time. Don't do that. But we are all family. We all belong to Christ. And you say, but Mark, I'm not following Jesus. Then can I tell you something? Man, you're in the right place this morning. You're exactly where you should be. And you say, Why? Because what you're listening to today is you're listening to some fallible, dysfunctional, imperfect, and some very jacked up sinner that's forgiven and covered by the grace of God, talking to a bunch of other people in a room who are fallible and dysfunctional and imperfect and jacked up and forgiven and covered by the grace of God. You are. They were all forgiven. We're all forgiven in this room. And if you're not following Christ, you just need to take a moment to understand your need for him and to acknowledge him in your life and to accept the forgiveness for your sins today. Because they're covered. They're covered. You mean I don't have to, I I don't have to pay for that? No, you don't. Absolutely not. Yeah. I don't have to take one of those generosity envelopes and and put something in there in order for my sins to be forgiven. No, you don't have to do that. Now, if you want to do that, that's fine, okay? But you don't have to know. Why? Because they're already paid for. They're already paid for. Encouragement in Christ this morning. The second thing is this. In community, we have in common the comfort of God's love. And he uses the word comfort intentionally. Why? Because when you think of comfort, you think of something that you're wrapped in. And so he says this, that you're wrapped in this everlasting and unconditional love for God. It's what Romans 5 and 8 says to us, not on your notes, maybe not on the screen, I don't think. No, it's not. But it says this, for God shows his love for us in that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. And it's more than comfort here. It's more than comfort. It's that we understand how much he loves us. 
And to our own best understanding, we understand what this kind of love looks like. Because God shows His love for me. Understand that not, not just when I'm getting all things right. It's not that at all. God shows His love for me not when I'm just up here on the stage as the teacher. God, God shows His love for me. Understand that not when just I'm sitting in my... And, and I, have this, I have this recliner in our bedroom and it's where I sit with my laptop or my Bible and I study. And so sometimes it's referred to as the holy chair. I don't know why, you know, kind of deal. But it's not when just I'm sitting in the holy chair. But God loves me when I'm getting things wrong in my life. Understand that. And God loves me when I'm not sitting in the holy chair. And God loves me when I'm grumpy and when I'm grouchy. And God loves me in the middle of my sin because he loves me unconditionally. Yes. You see, Romans 5 is a quantitative text, is what it is. It's what you and I have in common. And you say, oh, Mark, that, that's, that's wonderful. I love that God loves me. But here's the kicker to all this. Here is the challenge for all of this. Because he loves me in that quantitative way, then through his love for me, I love you in return. And that, that's the way this works. It is. Yes, I love you when you're not the church person. Yes, and I love you when you're grumpy and you are unlovable. And you say, Mark, but I'm never grumpy and, and I'm never unlovable. Then I love you when you're a liar too. Okay, understand that, right? Yes, absolutely. That we share the commonality of that we are wrapped in the love of God and because of that, we love one another. We celebrate that when we come to the Lord's table. The third thing is this. In community, we have in common participation in the Spirit. We've often discussed this about the Holy Trinity. Now, I love this because here Paul covers God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exist in this perfect sense of harmony with these designated roles, but yet that of all being in unity as God. It's common community. It's no wonder that you and I are drawn to community because we have this amazing example that God is community himself. He is community himself. And you say, but Mark, wait a minute. I'm an introvert and, and I really don't like community. So what do you do as an introvert? You're drawn to other introverts. And what do you do as an introvert? You form a community of introverts. It's exactly what you do. Yes, it's how God created us. It is part of the way God has built us inside that we're drawn to that because simply God is community himself. He is community himself. C.S. Lewis refers to the Trinity as the dance. I I love that. And it's not our concept of you have God the Father as he is like God and then you have the six pound, three ounce baby Jesus and then you have the Holy Spirit who makes people do really weird things at some times in their life. That's not it all. But they function in perfect community together as an example for you and I. Because you have God the Father. He's glorifying God the Son. And you have God the Holy Spirit who is making much of Jesus. So how do we participate in the, Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit with all of this? And that is this, that we participate in the Spirit as we make much of Jesus together. And that is communion. That is communion. That is what we do. It's no wonder that we are desperate for community. We're drawn to those kinds of things and those kinds of relationships. It's the very fabric of the creative order. It is the way God made us. God, who is community, is calling us to be people of community. And when we come together, we celebrate that.
We do. The fourth thing is in community we have in common affection and sympathy. Or mercy. It, it, it put beside the word sympathy, mercy, because it's the same word. It's what Lamentations 3 and 23 says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. But they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you had a bad day yesterday, you know? Somehow your relationship with God yesterday was a bit dysfunctional. You know, I'm not saying you were out of relationship, but it's a bit dysfunctional. Guess what? This morning when you wake up, woke up, hey, you have new mercy. Isn't that wonderful for us that we have new mercy? Yes. And, and when you look at that text and it says new morning or it's new every morning, it doesn't mean that you have to wait till the morning. What it means is this. There's an inexhaustible supply of mercy for you and I for our lives, of new compassion available for all of us. We have new mercy, inexhaustible for us, every moment of our living being, that we have mercy simply flowing from God to you and I, that that is something that we celebrate when we come to that of the communion table. And we all need mercy. Yes, we all need mercy within our lives. Yes, we do. So you've greeted everybody. You know, it's been a while since I've done this because Matthew has simply taken over the turn and welcome someone around you from me, which is fine. And I love that. And that's good. So I have to do that to get that out of my system with you, okay, this morning. So since you've met the person next to you, look at them and say, do you need some fresh mercy today? Ask them that question. Do you need some fresh mercy today in your life? Ask them. And, and then probably their answer is going to be that southern term that we use, mercy. You know, you ever heard that right? We kind of take the, the M-E-R, we, we kind of, we, we drag that out a little bit, mercy. And, and so they said, mercy, I need some mercy in my life. And it's an unending flow of mercy toward you and I. It's beautiful. We celebrate that in community. Because as you need mercy... The person sitting next to you needs mercy within their life this morning. And God provides that as an unending source. Can we finish Philippians chapter 2? This time, verse 4 through 8, we finish with this thought. That let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Boy, that is truly a definition of community that we celebrate this morning. But how do I do that? Because I'm a selfish being. So how, how do I place someone else's interest above my own interest. And so Paul begins to write to us in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the fifth thing in community we have a, in common, the centrality of the cross. And if we miss this, we have missed it all. Because community hinges on that as the centrality of the cross. Personally, corporately, as a church, as a body, as a faith family, remember the cross above all else. Because what the cross does, the cross has this amazing ability of decentering us on us and centering us on Christ. It does. It has this amazing ability to decentering us upon us and centering us upon Christ and His redemptive work and His grace and mercy because this, if the cross is not the center of our lives and the cross is not the center of our community, then here is the thought. 
We're the center of our lives. And we're the center of our community. And we step in the role of Savior. And if we said it once, man, we've said it so many times that you and I make a very lousy Savior. We do. We can never fix ourselves. If we place anything other than the cross at the center of our own God journey, then we merit, we, we simply have merit to boast. We boast within ourselves. It would be like you and I standing you know, on the beach during our summer vacation and we have our, our toes dug in the sand. We're listening to the waves. We're watching them come in. We see the vastness of the ocean. There's water as far as we can see and somehow we feel like we had something to do with the creation of all of that. That's simply, that's simply what it's like when you take out the cross from our relationship and the centrality of our community. No, the vastness, the complexity reminds us that no one boasts in front of God and no one boasts in front of the cross because the cross has this power to decenter us upon us and center us on, the, on Christ. It's the center of our existence. It stands as a reminder, the center element of who we are. What do you mean by that, Mark? That God the Father, God looked down and because of His great love for us, hates, hates the things that harm us. And He hates it with such intensity that He sent His very Son to become this propitiation, the atonement, the stand-in, the one to simply take the blow for you and I for our sin, that Jesus came as the rescuer, the very redeemer of all of our lives, that he willingly lays down his life, not some ethereal thought of him swooning or whatever, but yet he actually dies his brutal death on the cross so that you and I might have life. So now that when the Father sees you and I, he no longer sees us through the wrath because of our disobedience and our brokenness, but the Father sees us through that of the perfection and the holiness and the righteousness of his son Jesus. We're not just forgiven today, but we're covered by the mercy and the grace of Jesus in our lives this morning. It's something we could never earn. It's something that you and I could never buy or ever deserve in this life. But Jesus accomplished it all upon the cross. It's about Jesus and nothing else this morning. And if the cross is not the center of our worship, and if the cross is not the center of our community, then we don't have community. We don't have community. Because anything outside of the cross this morning is just our feeble human attempt at something only God can do. Understand that only the cross... Only the cross of Christ can take people like you and I and make us new and make us community. Only the cross can cause us as selfish and sinful human beings to put aside our own interests and place other people's interests before ours. Only the cross can take us who we are absolutely in love with our own selves and yet we love you, uh, uh, we love others around us as Christ loved us. Only the cross can do that in our lives. And when you take that out, you remove the center of who we are. The cross decenters us on us. The cross centers us on Christ. We share that this morning. 
our commonality is based upon the work of the cross in all of our lives. Only Jesus, through his death, could take a crew like this, could take me, could take you, and make us new. And the moment that we feel that we have somehow contributed to that, and the moment that we feel like that somehow our goodness has earned that, or we have enough points, then we become the center of our own lives and not the cross. But I realized a long time ago that I make a lousy center and I like a lousy Savior. But it's the cross that is the center of our lives. And we share that today. The centrality of the cross we celebrate when we come together at the table in community. We celebrate that we are covered by His affection and mercy daily. We celebrate that of participation in the Spirit, that we participate with the Spirit to making much of Jesus. That we celebrate today that of the comfort of God's love, that we are wrapped in His love. And it's not that He just loves us when we're, when we're good. No, He even loves us when we're really, really bad. And we celebrate today together the commonality of that, of our encouragement in Christ. That today, we are family. We're community. We all share something together. Whatever walk you're in and wherever you're from and whatever is happening in your life, we all share that today together. Paul believed this so powerfully that he wrote to us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 16. And this is what he said. He said, the, blessing, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And look what he says in verse 17. I love this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We're one body. For we all partake of the one bread. There is something so powerful, I think irreplaceable about anything else that we do. So powerful is that of the Lord's table. And when we come together as a family and as community. And we celebrate the commonality of those things within our lives. So today in September and October, November and on. When we have those communion opportunities. I want us to be reminded. Take a moment 
to step back and pause, to put a hold on just the schedule and to reflect on what this is for and this is about in our lives. So would you for a moment for reflection bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment please with me. To just center yourself on the things that we've talked about for a moment. The scriptures that we've shared. Father, speak to us concerning the power of the moment about the participation at your table of the commonality of our community, of the things that we share together in this room. But God, overarching all of this, whether we are believers or unbelievers or whether we are following Christ or whether we are struggling in that journey, whether we truly believe that God loves us or we are wondering how can He love us. The overarching truth this morning is that God, because You so intensely hate the things that harm us, that You sent that which is closest to you, your son Jesus. To make a statement to all of your creation that your love has no boundaries and your love has no limits. And your love has no prejudice toward anyone. That your love is not a respecter of a person, but yet that because of your intense love, you sent your son for all of us to make the most, the most powerful love statement ever made in all of creation. That you love us. And because of that, we can love others. Because of that, we can place others' interests before ours. Because of that, we serve others. Because you first loved us. So, Father, we celebrate the commonality of our community this morning at your table. So, for those that are broken in this room, Lord, may they not feel like they're alone. But may they know that they're in community this morning. For those that are struggling, may they know that they're not alone. But may they know that they are living in community with others this morning. For those that are away from you, not walking with you, that are struggling to understand how you could love them. By your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, you would reach into their hearts and their lives. Reveal your love. And the need to come to you to accept your forgiveness in their lives. To confess you as the Lord of their life. So, Father, we thank you for the elements this morning. The juice that represents your blood, which is shed for us. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. 
for the bread that represents your body, which is broken for us. And these things this morning, we do as a community together in remembrance of you. So thank you, Father, for your table today, for the cross, and what that means to all of us in this room. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.